Welcome to the Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For information about this podcast and other resources, visit destinydayton.com. doing a little two-part series here from last week to this week. I would encourage you, if you weren't here last week or didn't have a chance to uh, hear it yet, uh, to grab that online. Um, I just feel like the Lord has just uh, given me some, some uh, words that, uh, from, from the Word that are just so key to where we're at today um, and, and just the power of Pentecost and, and how we need to make sure that we're living in that and applying that every day of our lives. And uh, today you see the title, We Cannot Pass What We Cannot, uh, We Have Not Received. Sorry, I want to read it correctly. We cannot pass what we have not received. And I want to talk about that element of Pentecost today. And what I want to do, what I'm hoping today, I want to raise its value and impact in, in each of our eyes today. Maybe that probably doesn't need to be done for most of us, many of us, but I want each of us to see, uh, and maybe it just serves as a reminder, but I want us to see the importance of Pentecost and the importance of passing it on and, and, the, and what that means. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to pull my notes back up. Uh, verse 4. And we're going to go to 18. Acts 2, 4. How many are there say, yeah? yeah? Okay. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. and They began to speak in other languages as the, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven residing in Jerusalem. When this sound occurred, a crowd gathered and was in confusion. Now, I want to tell you, it, number one, and we, we can just not only say from Scripture, but we can go back in history, in Pentecost history. If you want to heal racial divides in America or any other country, because they exist all over the world and worse than in America, by the way, if you want to heal those, Pentecost is the way to do that. Pentecost will do that. Historically, Pentecost in Azusa Street, you think America's racially divided today, <laughs> try 1906, right? I, I, read, I read William Seymour's biography a few years ago, and it really, really impacted my life. What a powerful man of God. I, I feel like every year we ought to honor that man. We ought to have a William Seymour Day. I really, I believe that. I mean, he is somebody worth, worth following, worth honoring. Um, but in the time when America was even more divided, uh, he led a powerful revival that impacted the planet. And there was all different colors of people in there when that was not happening. That just did not happen back in that day. And it, it, we see this again in, in, in Acts chapter 2. As the Holy Spirit was poured out, I believe the Lord lets us get a window here because it's showing that no matter, you remember, he, he, re, he goes through all the, the people here in a, in a couple of verses that, that heard, all the backgrounds, and they heard their home languages, and they were drawn to that. And I want to tell you, the 3,000 that were saved here in a minute, that was all those different people. So if you want to talk about diversity in the church, it was from Jump Street, very diverse. This is the nature, that's what Pentecost does. That's why I think what a time to lead with the Pentecostal message. 
Amen. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven residing. And when this sound occurred, a crowd gathered as in was a confusion because each one of them heard speaking in his own language. Completely baffled, they said, aren't these who are Galileans that are speaking? How is it that each one of them hears, each one of us hears them in, in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Judea, I'm sorry, Cappadocia, Pontus, in the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, in parts of Libya, near Cyrene. So see, you had blacks, whites, uh, Middle Easterner, well, they're all technically Middle Eastern, but all these different nations, different languages represented here, and visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, those are people who became Jews, because if you wanted to be saved before Jesus, Right? You had to become a Jewish proselyte, and that happened. People said, you know, we want to serve Yahweh, so we're going we're gonna to become a Jew. So that's what a proselyte is. Cretans, Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own languages about the great deeds that God has done. And all were astounded and confused, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others jeered at the speakers, saying they are drunk on new wine. I always find it super interesting, you know, as careful as we are to have a Wonderful public image as a church. <laughs> when I look at this, it's always funny to me to think that God's grand reveal of the church was making the world think everyone inside was drunk. Here, I got a PR thing for you. Everybody's going to look like you're schnockered when you walk out there, right? That's, 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 that was God's grand reveal of the church. I think that sends a pretty powerful message to us. But Peter stood up with the eleven, he raised his voice and addressed the crowd, you men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem know this and listen carefully to what I say. In spite of what you think, these men are not drunk, for it is only nine in the morning. But this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Greek in the all, word all in Greek means all. All people. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see vision, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Jump down to verse number 37. Now when they heard this, they were acutely distressed. That's what it feels like to be under conviction. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do, brothers? And Peter said to them, repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Everyone say that line with me. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. That was pretty good, but about half of us. Try it again. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he testified and he exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this perverse generation. So those who accepted or embraced his message. Those who acknowledged his message was true. Some of your translations probably say. Were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power of your word. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just speak deep into our hearts. God, stir us for the kingdom. Stir us today. God, don't let anyone leave unstirred. And God, once you stir us, God, I pray we'd be moved to action today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. You may be seated.
So we all know who wrote the book of Acts, right? His name was Luke, right? So Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And it really is considered one book in two volumes, all right? That's why studying Luke and Acts together is very interesting because the, the same guy wrote it, right? He put it together. And at that time, so, so you just understand the, 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 the gravity of this work, a book of this length at this time and the time it would have taken to produce, because remember it was all by hand back then, there were no printing presses. So for someone to endeavor to write Luke and Acts, they tell us that that cost to produce that would have been about a million dollars. And just like Luke writes in Luke 1, he writes Luke chapter 1 to set up Luke chapter 2, right? Remember Luke 1, he, he tells us about the background of Mary and how you know, she comes to find that she's you know, pregnant with a child of the Holy Spirit, and then she visits her cousin Elizabeth, and, and John the Baptist is born. And so, so basically all of Luke 1 sets up Luke 2. It's the same in Acts. It's the same pattern. All of Acts 1 is written to set up Acts 2. He is getting to the point. Right? Jesus coming was the point in Luke. Luke 1, Luke 2 is, is, is the payoff. Acts 1 is the setup for what's coming in Acts 2, and that is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Luke makes it crystal clear that receiving the Holy Spirit is a critically important part of the whole new covenant. Ponder that for a second. And you say, well, how do we know that? Because there is this expectation... That every single person who receives the Holy Spirit, in, in Luke Acts, and Acts particularly, there is this expectation, and even beyond, we, we read other examples, but there's an expectation that every single person who receives Christ will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because we even see that later in Acts, in Acts 19, verse 2, they encounter a group of disciples who had been baptized in Jesus' name. They, had, they were followers of Jesus by all appearances, and then the million-dollar question was asked in Acts 19, 2, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit since you believed? Now, for some reason, today, we have separated that out. I've had people tell me, well, they're not, they've, they've just gotten saved. They're not ready for that Holy Spirit stuff. And I, would I always tell people, I can't uh, disagree with you anymore. This is the exact time they need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In fact, I think it would be awesome every time someone gets saved, that ought to be the moment. If you got faith to receive Christ, then you're likely going to have faith to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit because it's part and parcel. It is part of the new covenant. And Luke, let, let me just say this, Luke paints it as he writes, he paints it as entrance into the new covenant. Very important part. There's this expectation that if you receive Christ, you're going to go after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's just like peanut butter and jelly. Chocolate and peanut butter, right? And I feel that somewhat, and, and maybe more so in, in some sectors, that the modern Pentecostal movement, there has been a slow move away from emphasizing the necessity and the importance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And that is very concerning to me because the world we live in today, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, we need Jesus Christ encounters in this country. We need for God to come down. Therefore, we already know God has already come down 2,000 years ago. So therefore, we are the representatives of Christ on this earth. We need to get ourselves full of the Holy Ghost and be the light that is set on a hill like Jesus said we were to be. But instead, many have chosen to race through false finish lines. My friends, our mandate is to get as full of God as we can and leak that out on everyone around us. I found the fuller you get the Holy Ghost, the less time you have to argue politics, the less time you have to argue issues, the less time. You know, I don't even care about arguing theology with people because you know what? Once you taste the fullness of the Holy Spirit, now I answer questions, and I, that's part of my training right now is just to learn to teach and answer questions of uh, the hard questions in the Bible. But the reality is, if you have tasted it and you've experienced the Holy Spirit, you've experienced Pentecost. There's really no argument because a man with an argument is no match for a man with an experience. And I want to tell you, you've experienced what Jesus has done by sending the Holy Spirit, my friend. That is something this world needs desperately. It's something the church needs desperately. And my concern is there's a lot of people saying, and I'm not even talking about non-Pentecostal churches. I'm not even talking about them, but I'm talking about Pentecostal churches. There's a lot of people sitting in Pentecostal churches who not only are not filled with the Holy Spirit, they seem to have little or no interest in being filled with the Holy Spirit. That bothers me. Because we never, never must downplay what God has emphasized. And we've done that. Churches have done that. We have downplayed the very thing that God has emphasized. Luke goes out of his way to emphasize the Holy Spirit coming is is the key. It's the peace. It's the crown jewel as to why Jesus came to get his Holy Spirit inside of us. It always hurts my heart when I hear of Holy Ghost people going to non-Pentecostal churches or, or, or a Pino church, as I would call it, a Pentecostal in name only. And it happens either because they never tasted the promise of the Father for themselves or it has been so backburnered and so de-emphasized that they will compromise the fire so a preference can be satisfied at some level. You know, the greeters are friendlier, the pastor is witty, the vibe is cool. Whatever the reason, we've got to make sure that we are people of the fire, my friends, because it's the fire that the, the world needs to see. And we can't be just that in name only. Not because it was how we were raised, but it's got to be because... We are a product of the, of the Holy Spirit, and we, we consume the product of the Holy Spirit, if you will, ourselves, and we believe it, and we walk in it, and we act on it. We want to make sure we're a people who are not only believers in this, but receivers in this. This is my point today, my title. You can't pass what you have not received. Now, immediately let me clarify, because someone will say, well, we don't, we don't own it to pass it. You're very correct. We do not. But we are stewards of this distinctive. We are stewards of the fire of God. And I've seen many people may, maybe receive the Holy Spirit, but they, they take the emphasis off for their children. They, take, they, they don't emphasize it. 
they'll, they'll, they'll move here and move there, and they won't, they won't put the emphasis on this encounter with the Holy Spirit. And, and we see generationally, we see people drifting away from the fire of Pentecost. And I hear somebody that's like, man, they were Holy Ghost and fire. Now they're going to some church that, doesn't even, that, that thinks speaking in tongues is a sin. We've got to wake up. We want to make sure that we are a people who are not only believers in this, but receivers in this. Maybe you guys, this is maybe a funny illustration, but I don't know if you guys remember the commercial a few years ago by a guy named Cy Sperling. Uh, that name doesn't ring a bell, but he was in a commercial all the time, right? And it was for the hair club for men, ironically. I don't know if you've heard of the hair club for men, right? But he would get on there, and, and he would say, and his, man, this commercial ran forever, and he became really well-known, and, and he, he recently passed away, by the way. But, but he proclaimed in this commercial, I am not only the hair club president, but I am also a client. I mean, that's brilliant, you know? That really helps sell something, you know? I'm not just a person who's benefiting off of this financially, but I have actually used the product, and it works, and it's awesome. And I want to tell you, that's what the Pentecostal church is supposed to be. Not people that just nod yes at a doctrine, but people that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that the fire is real and the fire will make a difference in our life. You see, we have to be busy being people who receive it so we can pass it. Verse 39. Pull this up, let you see this. For the promise is for you and your children. For all who are far away. And if that you don't feel covered yet in that verse, you, you got the last phrase here. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. He's talking about the promise. This promise. What promise? Well, in biblical exegesis, we would call that the referent. <laughs> what is the promise referring to? What is the promise? Well, he's referring to verse 33, the promise of the Father, and he's referring back to verse 33. You can check that in your Bible, but he's referring to that, and he's saying that the promise is for you, it's for your children, it's for whoever will come to the Lord Jesus Christ, because the, back in verse 33, the promised Holy Spirit had come. This is why I want you to see the promise of the Father is expected to be passed to future generations because the promise of the Father is a generational promise. This is a generational promise. We've made it something optional. We've made it something, you know, something that, oh, take it or leave it. I think last week we said it this way. We talked about, you know, it being the icing on the cake, but in the reality, it is the cake. Could you imagine you passing away and all of your, your worldly goods not going to your children? Could you imagine everything you've worked so hard for, your home, savings, whatever you've saved, whatever you plan to leave behind, and as good stewards, we all want to make sure we leave something nice behind for those who come after us. Could you imagine if that inheritance was just lost somehow? Could you imagine your children probably maybe in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, depending how old you are right now, they come to the table and, and the lawyer comes or the executor of the will comes and says, you know, I'm sorry, you know, your mom and dad had quite a little bit of money, but we, it's, it's, it's gone. We don't know where it's at. It's lost. I'm sorry. Those kids would be upset. What happened? Who are we suing? <laughs> What, 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 what's going on? See, you would never treat your inheritance so casually, right? 
So uh, the older you get, you think about this a little bit more, but you line up your IRA, you line up your life insurance, you line up all, you get all that stuff taken care of with, with, with the future in mind to make sure the people that you love get whatever it is you have. My point is today, how can we be so careless with something so important as a baptism in the Holy Spirit? How can we take a generational promise and treat it like, ah, if they get it, great. Ah, if they don't, that's fine. I'd like to raise your urgency level today and say it's absolutely critical, critical that your children and your children's children receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Our children's leaders here at Destiny are committed to this very thing. That's what I love about everyone who ever works with kids. That's one of the prerequisites when we, we're looking to hire. Everyone knows that we're looking to hire uh, a, a children's minister right now. And, and that's one of the prerequisites. Can you lead our children to the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Can you teach them how to pray for the sick? Can you teach? That, that's that, that's got to be. If, they can't, if they're uncomfortable doing that, it's like nice meeting you. Find somewhere else to go because we're looking for somebody who can do that. promise it's given in perpetuity it's perpetual for future generations and when i say pass to the next generation again please understand it's not something that we give because it comes from the father and the baptism is done by jesus himself but we certainly play a role in this chain of grace as believers parents grandparents aunties uncles friends we have the ability to help lead and direct those who would come after us into an encounter with the holy spirit I want to tell you, my grandmother's influence on my hunger for the Holy Spirit was so key in my life. Maybe many of you who now walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, there's somebody that you can point to who had a key influence. I remember my grandma, when she would take care of me during the summer. I was probably, I don't know, 9, 10, 11 years old. She would, she would be giving me books by, uh, uh, I forget the guy, was it Jack Sherrill? They speak in other tongues, right? That's a classic. That's a Pentecostal class. I remember she gave that to me. I remember like 11 years old, I was reading that book, this little book on theology and the Holy Spirit. And that just stirred something in my heart. It stirred something in my heart. For our children, we must not only talk to them about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, but listen, help create atmospheres for encounter. I had parents that helped create atmospheres for, for encounters. They put me in churches that enabled me and helped me connect to atmospheres where I could receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. See, that's how people used to pick churches, not by who had the, the Disneyland going on inside. But is there an atmosphere in there where my child can get baptized in the Holy Ghost? There's nothing more important than that. Nothing. Help them. Talk to them. Teach them. Create atmospheres. At least position them in places. Tonight is an opportunity. You can position your children. They're going to go to a Holy Ghost Kids Church service tonight from kids from all over Dayton. Assembly of God churches in Dayton. And they're going to be led by Holy Ghost people. What is that? It's an opportunity for them to encounter the Holy Spirit. To me, that's a no-brainer. There's nothing I have on the calendar more important than my kids getting full or my grandkids getting full of the Holy Spirit. Nothing. Nothing. And if a Pentecostal person is attending a church that doesn't teach, preach, or give opportunity to lead people to encounter with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and they have children, my heart breaks for them. When do they suppose that will happen? And if they do somehow receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, who will answer their question is, why is something so powerful and life-changing never talked about in here? Because you see, if you've really received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it'll change your life. I remember 
mom, what was I, 16, 15, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, that was an epic moment in my life. I mean, I, I was, wow. <laughs> I've shared many times in here <laughs> about what God did for me that night. I can't imagine if I hadn't been raised in a church that, that wasn't teaching that, I, I would have had questions. You know, 16-year-olds don't, or 50, whatever, uh, teenagers don't, don't have to have a lot of reason to have questions. I'd be like, why are we in a church where they're hiding something so important, something so life-changing, mom and dad? Why are we in a church like this? And I could care less about the ball pit or the puppets or the 50 flat screens. Who cares? They weren't teaching the most important thing, the baptism and the Holy Spirit. Those would have been questions I would have had. And I'm not saying that to denigrate anybody or throw shade on anybody. I'm just saying we can't de-emphasize what God has emphasized. And when we do that, we do damage. I personally would have felt like somebody robbed me by not teaching me or talking to me about that. Someone who knew something that would have greatly helped me and strengthened me, but they didn't say anything. You see, you can rob people by omission, too. You know that, right? You don't have to actually take something from someone to rob them. You could just hold some knowledge back. You could just keep, you just don't talk about that. And you're robbing people. This, I, I couldn't help it this week, but think about my Uncle Harold, my dad's brother, who's in heaven now. So let me just tell you a quick story. My Uncle Harold... Not Harold, but Harold, right? I know, that's his, that was his name. He was a decorated World War II veteran, after which he earned his doctorate degree and he became a professor, I believe it was University of Maryland at Eastern Shore. And all four of his sons went to college. And they all you know, were a bright bunch. They all worked their way through college. He didn't help them at all. He didn't give them any money. And I, you know, I, whatever on that, that's fine. You know, some people want their kids to work all the way through, and there's definitely merit to that. And some parents are able to help, and they can do that. That's wonderful. But my uncle was very old school. He made all four of his sons work their way through college. So they had to have a job on the side. And of course, many of us understand that. They work, they pay, <laughs> they, they study. That's your life for four, five, six years, whatever it was. After they graduated, all of them, they found out because my uncle was a professor at University of Maryland Eastern Shore, they all could have gone for free. And they're like, Dad, how come you never told us that? And he said, son, because I wanted you to have a good work ethic in life. Now, I appreciate that part of it. <laughs> the other part of it makes me want to pull my hair out. <laughs> I'm thinking, how about, you know, how about having them pay you and then you surprise them when they graduate? Say, hey, by the way, it was all free. Here's all your tuition. Yeah, but, uh, but that wasn't my uncle. And I, I'm not saying you know, he was a great guy, but he was more concerned with them knowing how to work hard. And by the way, all four of my cousins are like super successful people. And it, it worked. <laughs> it worked. Believe me. But I think of how many pastors are like that with their people. 
we're not going to tell them the power that's available through the Holy Spirit because we fear man, we fear looking stupid, we fear looking confusing. We, you, you see, confusion wasn't a problem for God. Twice the people were confused. We're confused. We're hearing people speak. We're confused. Are these guys drunk? That, that doesn't matter. We're, we're worried about that. People are going to be confused. So what? People are going to be weirded out. So what? Have you read the Bible lately? There's a lot of weird that happens in the Bible. The Bible's full of weird. <laughs> in fact, sometimes I wonder if we have enough weird happening here on Sunday morning to even qualify to be biblical. Because, and really, across America at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, there's enough weird even happen. We have we become so good at producing a little one-hour service where everything is perfect. It looks like the Tonight Show. We've got the Tonight Show band, except they have a couple Jesus words in there, and everything's smooth, and the offering can only be 30 seconds long, and this guy can only, for 10 seconds, the sermon must be 21 minutes, no longer. And of course, we don't bring people up to pray because that would be weird. I say, God, send the weird. Send your power. Wreck our plants. Because our goal is being people that can walk this world in white. Our goal is to be people that can live in power. Our goal is to be able to bring a divided country together. And we're not going to do it with a slick little service. If that would have happened, it would have happened years ago. We need the power of the Holy Ghost. If we're going to pass it on, we better receive it. We better be about it. You see, I'm wondering how many Pentecostal people that are alive today will die as the only Pentecostals in their family. Now, obviously, not with thought of, you know, making their kids work for something or making it harder on them because, you know, their passion is, uh, you know, for, for Jesus wanes ever so slightly. And, and so, you know, but I, I, what I am saying is we have got to be all about the atmosphere and we got to be all about. I want to tell you, it's hard enough to keep your kids living for God today in this world. It's a challenge. If you're a parent, it's a challenge enough. Let's give them all the tools they need, right? Let's get them full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's get them ignited with a fire that will last forever, my friends. Whew. Get them in an atmosphere where their children can encounter the Holy Spirit. Because you see, if we're not careful, the most important things can easily be forgotten. And things forgotten lose their value, and we overlook this generational gift that is the promise of the Father. Don't let it die with you. Don't let it, don't let it die with you. If you don't have kids yet, make that a goal. I like to hear Christian parents' goals. You know, one of my goals, our kids get not only saved, but get filled with the Holy Spirit as soon as they can. I've seen five-year-olds slaying in the altar and laid out for an hour. Now, you can't make a five-year-old lay still on the, on the back. That's got to be God, right? <laughs> no no five-year-old on their own is going to lay there. If I lay here a little longer, they'll really think I'm spiritual. Uh, no five-year-old thinks that way, right? I want to tell you what's available. It's amazing. And I think verse, verse 40 is so key in helping us see the urgency of receiving and passing the promise to the next generation. Let's look at this real quick. Verse 40, and with many other words, he, Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, save yourself from this perverse generation. I want you to see real quick here, too, that the promise of the Father protects us from a perverse culture. Again, people say, oh, it's so hard to live for God today. Well, it can be a challenge, but let me tell you what makes it even harder when you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit inside. There's a reason why he's given. There's a reason why. 
Now, does this mean anyone baptized in the Holy Spirit will be bulletproof and never have battles or struggles or, or, or a sin? No, 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 it does not mean that. But it does mean that you are equipped now for battle at least. So I notice in the church, everyone likes to talk about how cool the sword of the Spirit is, but you know what a sword is for, right? <laughs> you, you have to pick it up and swing it. You're going to get some guts and blood from demons on it. You've got, you got, you got to do some work. Right? It's, we can have a shiny, nice sword and be enamored by it, but you're given a weapon for a reason. You must use that weapon. Fight that darkness, my friends. Fight those demonic spirits. And notice that Peter here, via Luke, ties being or receiving Christ and being baptized in the Holy Spirit is how to avoid the perversion of the culture. That's what I love about verse 40. When you ponder this, you th think about these messages. These, these lines are in the Bible here for a reason. Peter is tying the fullness of the Holy Spirit from escaping the perversion in the culture. Does everyone see that? When Jude 20 it tells us to build ourselves up by praying in the Holy Spirit. He does so in the same context of living in the midst of a deceptive and corrupt culture. By, by praying in the Holy Spirit, you will build yourself up. You will strengthen yourself to overcome that corruption. When Paul speaks of walking in the Spirit or living in the Holy Spirit, that you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, again, there is a connection to a relationship with the Holy Spirit that helps us overcome corruption on the planet. See, no wonder the devil wants to, us to backburner this message. No wonder. We, 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 the devil doesn't want this to go out because I want to tell you, it's a, it's a, it's a game changer, my friends, when we get full of the Holy Spirit. We've all likely heard, I know we've sung it here a few times, the William Booth, Booth song, Thou Christ of Burning Cleansing Flame. I think we've just shortened, we call it Send the Fire now. But William Booth wrote this song over a hundred years ago. In fact, I think he wrote it in the 1800s when he asked God to send the fire of the Holy Spirit. This is what William Booth, one of the verses, for strength to ever do the right, for grace to conquer in the fight, for power to walk the world in white, send the fire. That's why we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you another personal story here. My dad is <laughs> a great example the difference the Holy Spirit makes in someone. He was raised in, I was just sharing this, I think, with someone a week or two. My, my dad was raised in, in poverty in Appalachia. He grew up on a farm. He was five years old before he had his first pair of shoes. It's just how it was. He grew up in a, a home that the people were Baptist. They went to a Baptist church, not throwing shade on Baptist, just saying what he was. And he grew up to know the Lord, to love the Lord. And coming from a background with no money, my dad literally was that guy who worked his way through college, paid his own way. Uh, had to, <laughs> he wasn't joking. You've heard people had to walk, you know, to school five miles in the snow uphill. I mean, that was literally my dad. I've been to the house he was raised in. It was literally a five-mile walk to his school. Worked very hard. He even didn't like his accent, right? He had that Appalachian, West Virginia. I'm not, again, not throwing shade on that. He didn't like his accent. He got rid of it. He worked on it. You couldn't even tell he was from West Virginia. 
He got because he just didn't. He didn't. He didn't want to be. He didn't want to be labeled. He didn't want to be. You know. He. You know how that feels. People label you by something, right? He's like, I don't want to be labeled by that. So you know. Worked his way. Got his degree in engineering. Became a chemical engineer. He did a stint in the in the Air, U.S. Air Force. And he was stationed in Alaska. His fir- I believe his first, his first commissioning, he was in, 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 in Juneau or Fairbanks, Alaska. My mom, I'm looking at my mom because she, she, <laughs> she's fact-checking me over here. Like, no, that's not. <laughs> I remember my dad telling me this because he was Baptist when he got to the Air Force. All his life he'd been Baptist. But he noticed something when he got to the Air Force. There was all kinds of people that lived in the barracks with him from all different backgrounds, most of them very ungodly people. But there was a group of guys who actually lived it. They weren't telling the dirty jokes. They weren't laughing at the dirty jokes. They weren't getting drunk with everyone on the weekend. These guys like had their Bible on their bed. And they were reading their Bible. And my dad, you know, he found some Baptist guys and, and he would hang around them and but he noticed they were all comp- they were all backslidden they were the ones going to drink they were the ones going to you know tell the dirty jokes they were the ones living in the world my dad was like who's those guys over there they're really living it. my dad like dove into it figured it out introduced themselves guess what <laughs> those were the guys who were pentecostal and that's what drew one of the things that drew my dad into pentecost He saw people that were equipped with power that could cause them to walk through hell and still live for Jesus Christ. These young men had the power to walk the world in white. So my dad ended up going to church, little Pentecostal church, and was powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, again, look at the generational thing. I can't imagine being anything else but Pentecostal because of a decision my father made a long time ago. I want to tell you something, my friends. We must be all about the fire of the Holy Spirit. We need Him in our lives. We've got to stop making it optional. And, and, and you know, if we seek it and don't get Him today, if we don't get it next week, it just makes seeking Him part of our lifestyle. We seek Him until we receive it. But I want to tell you, it is wrong when we try to de-emphasize importance, something that God has highlighted. And I'm closing. I love verse 41. It says, those who accepted his message. Literally, some of your Bibles probably say those who acknowledged what Peter was saying was true. They were baptized. So they, they accepted his message. They were baptized. And the Bible says that 3,000 souls. It says people, but literally soul, soul, 3,000 souls came to know Jesus Christ that day. And again, the context is they got the whole enchilada, Right? Because, again, we, we, we can't take a line from Paul and try to explain Luke, okay? Luke, Luke is clearly saying here, these folks came. They were baptized in Jesus' name. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. 3,000 of them were added today. It's important in leaving a legacy of, Peg- of Pentecost that if we acknowledge the promise we must act on it. These 3,000 who heard it, the Bible said they had to acknowledge it was true, and then they made a move on it. Here's the thing today. We have a lot of people that will acknowledge it and say yes, but they don't move on it. 
God wants you to move on it, my friend. If you're acknowledging it, you say, yes, I believe. I believe this is for me. I believe it. And by the way, it is for everyone who's saved. If you're saved, you're a candidate for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you, the Lord is saying, okay, it's your move. It's your move. Come and receive the Holy Spirit. We have a phrase that describes people in a variety of settings and applications today. It's called non-practicing. Anyone ever heard that term applied to somebody? They are non-practicing. You hear it all the time. They are non-practicing this or that. Translated, you're not really in it, but you might have one little baby toe in it just far enough to use the name. Or if someone tries to tell you, well, I'm, I'm not really in it, but I'm non-practicing. And I, I, I'm not, again, not throwing shade, but it's like I hear this with Catholics. So I'm a non-practicing Catholic. Kind of, you know, leave me alone, but that's kind of, you know, I have a little pinky toe and, and kind of in, the, in that background. Well, I'd like to suggest that we have far too many non-practitioners and non-practitioners in the Pentecostal movement today. And this happens for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's because they grew up in it, but they never experienced it themselves. How many kids, that's, what's, that's why I feel urgent about getting our children and our, our teenagers exposed to the baptism and the Holy Spirit. At least give them opportunities. Because I want to tell you, it's, it's critical that they receive. But you can grow up in a Pentecostal church and never receive. Others have lost the value and importance of the encounter and have misplaced priorities on what is important in the body of Christ. While others, I've had friends do this, they fancy themselves as a missionary to another denomination where they think they're going to go change everyone's mind and in a place whose doctrine won't allow for the, I had a friend back in Kansas City that, that she was like, well, yeah, I'm, we're, I'm going to go to this church and it's, it's like, well, it was opposite end to Pentecost. Like, I'm, I'm going to go because I'm, I see myself as a missionary to that church. I'm like, well, yeah, 20 years later, how's that working out for you? It's not. It's not. My plea to you today, my friend, you alone have the ability to alter the course of your family tree. And here's the cool thing, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are, you still can be a person of influence. If you have young children, you definitely be a person of influence in their lives, a huge, the greatest influencer. Today, you can make the decision to change the course of your family tree, regardless of how it's gone until today, regardless of how you were raised. You'll be like, well, I wasn't raised that way. I don't care. Doesn't matter. I'm not being dismissive in saying that, but that's irrelevant. A lot of people were raised in the wrong way, and thank God he opened their eyes to the fact that, you know what, that wasn't quite, parents are great, love them, but that wasn't quite right. Those are good revelations to have. Why? Because God's word even ranks what mom and dad say. We'll love them. God bless them. Doesn't mean they're not great people, but God's word ranks higher than what mom and dad say. 
you can become the branch of the tree that's turned fully to Jesus and embrace everything God has for you and your family and everyone who comes after you. You could be the one on the family tree that turns things around. My dad was the, for years, was the only one in his family who was Pentecostal. But there is a branch in the Smith family now, thanks to my dad, because he made a decision and he received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now there's a whole side of us who are. And you know what? Some of my cousins, some of the poor guys that had to work through college when it was actually free, but they worked their way through, right? Some of them have now been filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, you will have massive influence. But we've got to get real with ourselves. We've got to get real with the Lord. We've got to understand that this just isn't a religious thing. Religion could go back to hell where it came from. God wants to ignite you. He wants to put his fire in you. He wants you to repent of every sin that you have hidden. He wants you to turn your face completely to him. And he wants to light a fire in you today. Doesn't matter what happened yesterday, last week, two years ago, five, six, ten years, doesn't matter. Jesus wants to write your history. He wants to start today. But see, I always feel urgent, like, why wait? What are we going to wait for? If we wait for a convenient day, it'll never happen. The time to start is now. The time for change and let the Lord to transform is now. The, the time is now. It's now. That's a powerful thing about the gospel is today is the accepted day of salvation, right? It's a now. It's a now thing. Don't waste one more breath of your life. Don't waste one more minute. This is too good. This is too powerful. It's too important. Lord Jesus, we love you. We bless you, Father. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.